This is the Stand with Lynette podcast. You have episode seven, communicating with courage and compassion. What would your life be like if you knew you could stand firmly on the covenant path, come what may? My name is Lynette Shepard, and I am here to help you do just that. If you are a Latter-day Saint woman with a desire to brighten your faith as the world grows darker, you are in the right place. Together, let's stand. Hello, hello, my friends. Welcome back to Stand with Lynette. I'm so happy to have you back here for episode seven. I am so thankful for you for being here, for listening, for your ratings, for your reviews, for your the thoughtful things that you have reached out and told me about the podcast, the thoughtful reviews that you have left for the public to read about the podcast. That means so much to me because when you find a new po podcast, I don't know about you, but the first thing I do is read some of those reviews to see if I feel like it would be worth my time to listen. And so those are huge. They help me get the word out to more people so that I can help more people. So I ask you again, please keep those coming. If you love it, take a second. It doesn't take very long. Leave a rating or review. That means so much to me. Today we are going to dive into a topic that I think maybe we're struggling with on the whole as a society, even within the church. We sometimes struggle with this and it is communicating with compassion and courage. Those two together are a hard combination and when we're talking about faith, when we're talking about the church, it's kind of important to strike this balance between courage and being bold, but also being compassionate and offering grace to people. A few months ago, okay, back in 2021, like we know how, how it was on social media, right? On the internet, it got kind of ugly and I actually copied some of the comments off of my social media feed because at the time I was working on writing a uh, like a manual almost to help parents teach their teens how to communicate. And so I just copied and pasted from my social media feed a few comments as an illustration of what the reality of communication in 2021 looked like. So let me just read a few of the comments that came directly from my feed. Some of them from people that I go to church with, okay? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give away any hints about who is saying what in case you know me in person, but these are actual comments from some people that I actually know and interact with. I make it a practice to not waste my time responding to people I have no respect for. It's because of people like you that the state of the world is what it is. You are such a moron for being so educated. That's just three comments. I know that you have seen you have seen this in your social media feeds as well, but they represent what communication looks like in this world that we live in, where there is little respect for anyone who believes differently. This is what communication looks like in a world where it's okay to belittle other people publicly as long as you're hiding behind a screen and you don't have to face them face to face. This is a world where communication has been reduced to yelling, screaming, name-calling, and publicly shaming others. We've seen this in the realm of political and social differences, for sure, especially in the wake of the crazy last two years. 
But what about in matters of faith? Have you seen believers mocked or persecuted for believing? Have you seen members of the church belittling or shaming other members who follow or maybe don't follow the prophets or the commandments? Have you seen members of the church shaming other members who do not share their social or political beliefs? Unfortunately, I have witnessed and experienced these things firsthand. I have received hate mail from disgruntled members of the church because I spoke of following the prophet. I have had a blog post written about things that I said, whose author was angrily picking apart every word of an Instagram post I wrote about faith and belief. Though I have never met this woman in person, she used me as an example of why she left the church. To be honest, her hurtful words that attacked my very character caused me to question my ability to open my mouth and to share the good news of the Savior and his gospel. At that point, I had recorded the first three episodes of this podcast, but had yet to release them. Two of the three were dealing with potentially controversial topics. If you've listened to them, you know. And these were the very topics that had resulted in the hate mail and the disparaging blog posts, which painted me as a villain of the worst variety. I felt like I was walking into a landmine by putting out this podcast, and I wondered who I would offend, how many friends I would lose by speaking out to defend Jesus Christ, his ordained prophets, and the gospel he established on this earth. I just honestly did not know if my heart could handle the backlash that was sure to ensue if I hit the publish button. I knew that would set a series of events into motion that I could not take back, and I didn't know if I was truly cut out for the job. Yet, I could not deny the most profound spiritual experience of my life, where the Lord had made it abundantly clear that He needed me to arise and shine forth through the growing darkness, contention, and confusion of the world around us. I thought of the words of the Savior to His apostles at the Last Supper. He knew at that point that His time with these men whom He loved was growing very short. He also knew what they must face to carry His word to the world after he was gone. So he said at that last supper, if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. He was preparing them for what was coming by reminding them the persecution you will face. It's not about you. It's about me. The people, they might hate you, but really they don't hate you. They hate me. So keep going. Keep doing my work. And then he followed his sobering prophecy with words of comfort. He said, in the world, ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And that was followed by the great intercessory prayer where Jesus prayed to the Father on behalf of these men who loved him, who had followed him, and who would soon take his place teaching and correcting and leading others to him. He said, I have given them thy word, and the world hateth them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of this world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. Sanctify them through thy truth, that thy love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. 
These are the words that he prayed on their behalf to the Father. He knew that the world would persecute those who followed him, and especially those who spoke up and defended him. So he asked the Father to bless them with an abundance of his love and his spirit to strengthen, to uphold them through these challenging times that they were going to face after he was gone. There is a reason, perhaps many reasons, maybe reasons that we don't even know or understand why the Lord asks those who follow him to arise, shine forth, speak up, and share light, even knowing that the world will not be kind to them for doing so. And while I cannot tell you all of the reasons why he calls us to put on our courage and face the backlash of a world that is moving away from him, I wonder sometimes if that is as much for you and for me as it is for him. Because after all, he commands the elements. He can stop a storm with a single word. He can walk on water. He can raise the dead and forgive sins and find the lost sheep and cleanse the temple and meekly withstand every false accusation that is thrown at him. Could he not do his own work? Could he not come down to this earth and testify of himself? Could he not step into places where believers like you and me are being persecuted for his namesake and set things straight? Ultimately, he will come again. And at that point, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Christ. But until then, he asks us to stand for and with him, to arise and shine forth, to share his light with the world, knowing full well that we're going to take some heat for doing so. But what if standing for truth amid persecution will force us to dig deep and determine, why do we even stand with him? What if knowing why we stand with him will help us find the courage to share his light, even amid mounting persecution? And what if that combination of courage and faith will forever cement us to him? No matter what comes, would that make it worth it? Would that make it worth it for you? In Abraham chapter 3, we learn of a great pre-mortal council where the Lord gathered the noble and great ones, as he called them, who would become his earthly leaders. Elder Bruce R. McConkie said this about that great pre-mortal meeting. He said, A host of mighty men and equally glorious women comprised that group of the noble and great ones. Can we do other than conclude that Mary and Eve and Sarah and myriads of our faithful sisters were numbered among them? Certainly these sisters fought as valiantly in the war in heaven as did their brethren, even as they in like manner stood firm in mortality in the cause of truth and righteousness. Close quote. Do you think it is possible that you and I might have been in attendance at that meeting? That we, among the Lord's noble and great future leaders, were given certain earthly assignments before we ever stepped foot on this earth? I can tell you, based on sacred personal experiences that I've had with the Spirit, that I believe we were there. I believe when the Lord presented his plan and told us of everything it would entail, including adversity and affliction and persecution, we confidently stood and said, here am I, send me. You need somebody to testify of Jesus Christ amid hosts of angry people who would seek to disparage and silence them? Here am I, send me. 
I know Jesus Christ. I love Jesus Christ. I will do that. You need somebody to teach truth with boldness and compassion amid the deafening noise of a fallen world? Here am I. Send me. I can do that for you. You need somebody to love and lead and prepare a chosen generation of the Lord's best who are destined to usher in his second coming, and you need that to happen in the height of one of the most spiritually toxic environments the world has ever known. Here am I. Send me. I will do that. I will do that for you. But we don't remember that. We don't remember what earthly assignments we were we agreed to accomplish before we ever stepped foot into mortality. We don't remember sitting at the feet of our heavenly parents. We don't remember the instruction they gave us or the strength of our pre-mortal conviction. But Russell M. Nelson taught that, quote, you were taught in the spirit world to prepare you for anything and everything you would encounter during this latter part of these latter days. That teaching endures within you. Close quote. Anything and everything. We were prepared for anything and everything. Therefore, we can have confidence in knowing that our heavenly teachers prepared us for confusion and contention and chaos. They prepared us to follow the Savior amid the latter-day noise and persecution, and they prepared us to arise and shine forth even when it would require a great deal of courage and conviction. What thoughts does this bring to your mind? Does it change the way you see yourself here in mortality, knowing that this is what we are here to do? This is what we have been prepared to do. We are literally latter-day warriors fighting the battle of our lives. It is not a battle of physical weapons, but a battle of words and ideas, a battle between truth and cleverly cloaked deception. A battle for our faith, for our trust, and our conviction. Amid the turmoil, this call echoes. Now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. That is found in Romans chapter 13. I love the imagery of putting on armor of light. I picture myself wearing armor that is shining like the brightness of the sun. And when the fiery darts of those who would choose to silence me come near, they bounce right off that illuminated armor, giving me courage to face whatever comes. What would you be able to accomplish if you were protected by armor of light? What would you say? What would you do? How would that strengthen you in your efforts to arise and shine forth? Several years ago, then-elder Russell M. Nelson said this, Attacks against the church, its doctrine, and our way of life are going to increase. Because of this, we need women who have a bedrock understanding of the doctrine of Christ and who will use that understanding to teach and help raise a sin-resistant generation. We need women who can detect deception in all of its forms. We need women who know how to access the power that God makes available to covenant keepers and who express their beliefs with confidence and charity. We need women who have the courage and vision of our mother Eve. Close quotes. While I love this quote in its entirety, one thing that stands out to me about what he said is the call for women to access the power of God through their covenants and who are able to express their beliefs with confidence and charity. 
part of the call to arise and shine forth is to come out of obscurity by standing up and speaking out. But how can we do this in a way that is both confident and charitable? This is a very tricky balance. I am finding this as I have stepped into the public light and tried to do this in a public way, which we won't all do, and that's okay. We won't all stand up and speak out in a very public manner on social media or whatever, but we still need to be able to strike this balance with the people in our lives that we interact with on a day-to-day basis. We want to be bold and confident in how we express our faith because we are confident in the Savior and the covenants and ordinances that bind us to Him. But we also want to be compassionate to those who believe differently or who may be on a different faith journey. Dieter F. Uchtdorf said it this way, We must always stand for what is right, and there are times when we must raise our voices for that cause. However, when we do so with anger or hate in our hearts, when we lash out at others to hurt, shame, or silence them, chances are we are not doing so in righteousness. Close quote. This makes me think of those comments on my social media feed, some of which were from members of the church that I personally know, and they were absolutely done with anger or hate to lash out to hurt, shame, or silence people. It was clear that that was the intent by the wording of those comments. So we got to think about this. And those comments may have been said in the realm of, politics, or social issues, but it it doesn't matter. We as members of the church should not be participating in communication like that, no matter what it's about. We are members of the church of Jesus Christ. We are trying to be like him, and this this is not how he works, so we have to be careful. As I have stepped onto the public stage, I have spent many hours in prayer, meditation, and study trying to strike the correct balance between boldness and compassion. And to be true, I don't know if I always get it right, but this image has helped me. I imagine that one of my best friends is struggling with their faith. They are trying to reconcile doubts and questions with long-held beliefs, and the process is causing them much discomfort and even pain. I think through how I would talk to that dear friend in this situation. Would I point the finger of scorn and say things like, you should be doing it this way? Or where did you get those crazy ideas? That is not what you have learned in church your whole life. Or would I listen, empathize, try to understand where they're coming from and choose my words carefully? Would I withhold judgment and shame and shower them with love and charity and compassion? And how would I want other people to treat my friend who might be struggling? This exercise in just imagining this has made it infinitely easier to know how to talk to people who may be struggling in their faith. It has showed me the way to shine without judging or looking down on others who may be at different points on their faith journeys. When Jesus left the 90 and 9 to find the one, he did not scold the lost lamb. He did not make it feel stupid or unworthy or less than. He lovingly put it on his shoulders and carried it back to the fold. And if we are to follow the example of the good shepherd, we can do the same thing. 
We can make a place at the table for everyone who wants to be there. We can remember that just because somebody shows up at church every week, that does not mean they have everything figured out. Many people are struggling beneath the surface. They may be coming to church, praying for spiritual nourishment to help them hold on for another moment, another hour, another day. In a recent anonymous survey that I conducted, I asked a group of women about their current struggles in their faith. They chose from a list of several options, and people's struggles were varied. Some had questions about church history, policy, or doctrine that made it hard for them to be all in to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some had children or spouses that were navigating faith crises. Some struggled with mental illness, making it hard for them to fill the spirit. These are just a few examples of struggles that a small group of women are currently navigating. Some of these women are newly married. Some have brand new babies. Some are in the thick of raising teenagers and others are empty nesters. Their circumstances are as varied as they are, but they are all struggling in some capacity. After asking them about their struggles, I asked them to describe how those struggles affected their self-worth. This is where my heart broke a little. I will not share all of their responses, but one leapt off the page with striking clarity. One woman said, I feel lame and guilty for not having a strong testimony like those around me in my ward. They all seem rock solid in their foundation of Jesus. Some days I feel doubt, and that's hard. This woman, who is completely anonymous even to me, is participating in a program to strengthen her faith, which shows where her heart is. She is working to do all she can to bind herself to the Lord. But when she goes to church, she feels lame and guilty, in her words, because her faith is less than perfect. I don't know exactly what experiences she has been having at church or why she feels the way she feels. But imagine every person you meet at church feels a little bit like she does. They want to believe. They are trying to strengthen their faith. They are showing up week after week and praying for answers to their questions, but still they feel a little out of place on the pews. What can we do to welcome each one of them? How can we speak to each other in a way that is inviting and kind? How can we lead and teach and interact in a way that says, no matter where you are on your journey to Jesus, you belong here. How can we stand with the Savior, boldly teach truth, and do so with compassion and grace? There are many in our midst who are holding on tight, afraid they might not be able to do so for much longer. And we, who are charged with the task to arise and shine forth while wearing the armor of light, are the Savior's hands here on earth. We are the inviters. We are the welcomers. We are the ministers. We are the ones who must, who must teach of Christ with boldness and confidence, but also with grace and empathy and compassion. We, like him, are shepherds. If we can remember that as we navigate the fiery darts of persecution aimed at believers, will that change the words we choose? Will it affect what we say on social media, both in posting and in commenting on other posts? Will it change the way we teach and testify to a group of women, whether at church or online or wherever you're teaching and testifying? Will it affect the interactions we have with others in our wards, in our communities, and families? Will it give us more confidence to navigate the tricky waters of divisiveness that often feel like landmines waiting to explode? Will it help us communicate like the master would, with both courage 
and compassion, especially when others might challenge our beliefs. We live in a world of contention. There is no doubt about that, but we need not contend with those who believe differently to share the message of Jesus Christ. We can choose charity instead. We can leave anger and divisiveness and finger pointing out of our communication. We can re- refrain from pointing fingers of judgment or scorn, remembering that we are not the judges and therefore we can leave the judgment to God and we can do the loving and inviting and testifying. And if we are on the receiving end of such judgment or scorn because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we can remember his words to his disciples just hours before the Garden of Gethsemane took place. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world." We, my friends, were born to navigate complex Latter-day challenges. We were prepared by heavenly teachers to love and lead and welcome and strengthen and hold up our light for all the world to see, no matter how dark and confusing the world becomes. So stay strong, my friends, and remember, boldness goes hand in hand with compassion. Those two things go together, especially when we are talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the people that we interact with at church, and the people that we interact with outside of the church. Again, we hold his light up for all the world to see. And boldness and compassion, that is how he communicated, that is how he lived, and we can work to become like him in this way. So let's work on that, and together, let's stand. All right, my friends, your shine challenge for this week is to arise and shine forth by sharing your testimony on social media. Somewhere on some social media platform, if you have social media, if not, just share it with a friend in some way. Be brave, be bold, and be compassionate. And use the hashtag CovenantWomenStand so that we can see what other people are doing and sharing and how they are being bold and compassionate. It's good to be able to learn from each other. So let's learn from each other. And if you resonate with what we talked about today, I think you will really appreciate my manifesto, which is entitled Covenant Women Who Stand, where we dive deep into things like we're talking about today, about communicating with compassion and all of the other qualities that Covenant Women Who Stand are working to develop. So you can download that. I will put a link in the show notes. It's free. You can hang it up. You can read it and embrace it and live it because we need each other on this journey. And I'm happy that you are here with me for the ride. We will see you next time. Thanks for being here. Thank you for spending a few minutes with me today. If you are ready to dive in deeper and join the stand movement, Find me on Instagram at Lynette Shepard, that's two N's, two P's, and an A-R-D, or at LynetteShepard.com. If you like what you heard today, please consider sharing the show with a friend or leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. That works wonders in helping us to find the people that we can help. Thank you again, and remember, you were born to stand. See you next time.